you have your Bibles this morning, I want you to invite, I would like to invite you to open up to John chapter 1. If you don't have a Bible, there's some on the sides of the tech booth back there. Feel free to uh, grab one of those and uh, um, open it to John chapter 1. If you have one of those Bibles back there, it's page 886. If you um, have your own copy of the Scriptures, um, John is uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. is the fourth book in the New Testament, uh, the fourth testimony of the life and teachings of Jesus. And so uh, it's, we're in the very first part of that. Uh, thank you. If you didn't know this, uh, not sure it popped up on your calendar or whatever, but Thanksgiving is coming this week. Any, anybody? Yes, okay, great. Uh, there will be an abundance of food and all that kind of stuff. I, I personally know that Thanksgiving is coming because um, we're in serious get the house ready for the in-laws coming mode including yesterday, me, uh, anybody else have this issue? We've got in our backyard the kind of black iron fence thing. And so grass, we've got the, with the way this works is you've got the property line and then the fence, and then we've got flower beds. And so grass from the outside has worked its way in. And so what do you have to do? You have to crawl up under all the bushes and stuff and pull the grass out. And all the while, I'm up underneath there thinking, sure, I'm thankful that it's Thanksgiving and that the in-laws are coming. Anybody else with me on Tasks like that? Yes. Okay, good. I'm just sort of joking. Um, <laughs> this week can symbolize a lot to a lot of people. And again, man, we've got a lot to be grateful for. That's for sure. But as I was literally yesterday thinking about this in the middle of pulling grass up from underneath the flower beds, um, you know, circumstances, they can be great or they can be cruddy. And, and if they're great, you feel like you've got a lot to be thankful for. If they're not so great, you're like, oh, figure out something to be thankful for. Uh, there's that. And you've got relationships, and relationships can be great or they can be pretty stressful. And that may be exacerbated actually this week where you've got, you know, maybe people who show up at your house that you're great with and some others are like, this feels like a relational root canal, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, and so you've got some things to be grateful for and some things you struggle with. What I'm after today and what I think the Lord wants for us today is try to set something out for us that no matter whether our circumstances are good or bad, whether no, no matter whether our relationships are good or bad, but that we would see this this morning. God would set it out before us to understand that we are children of God. And because of that, we always have something to be grateful for, always. Children of God. And so in John chapter 1, verse 12 and 13, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. And I will say this, I bet 10 or 12 times this morning, but let's just be real clear from the outset. The only way to become a child of God is to believe in him and receive him. That's what it says. To all who received him, to those who believed in his name. Receiving by believing in his name. That's how we become children of God. There's no other way. There's not a, a, a backdoor path. There's not this other thing. We'll talk about three kind of myths here in just a second, but there is no other way, uh, the book of Acts says, there's no other name under heaven by which we must be saved except that of Jesus. No other way. Jesus himself said, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father but through me. Nobody does. 
So there's a single way to be rightly related to God, to become a child of God, and that is through being born of God as we receive Jesus into our lives and believe in his name. As I said, there are some myths, some kind of uh, uh, popular ways that people would love for it to, it to be true for them to become child of God, and I want to identify those since the text does this morning. I want to identify those and try to speak um, briefly uh, to each of these. The first way that I almost entitled this, How Not to Be a Child of God, but that seemed pretty negative. Uh, instead, let's think for just a minute about how we, uh, these myths that are perpetrated in our culture about how people become child of God. The first one is simply by being born. He says at the beginning of verse 13, who were born not of blood. See that not there? That, that not is really important. Not of blood. Not of blood. So it, you're not a child of God simply because you were born. Um, creation can speak to purpose and it can speak to care that God has for us, but it does not speak to relationship. The fact that God made us, little Lana was here, and, and God knit him together uh, in his mother's womb. Isn't that an amazing thing? I mean, I've never knitted anything in my entire life. Let me just go on record as saying that. But those that I have watched, it looks like a fairly involved, fairly delicate, fairly intimate and intricate process. And to think that God is doing that for little ones. He's knitting them together uh, in their mother's womb. God is intimately and intricately involved with um, them coming into this world. So, I mean, amazing. Amazing that God would do this uh, for us. But it, creation can speak to purpose and it can speak to care, but it's not relationship. You and I, we didn't ask to be born. We weren't. Um, when, when, we were, when God was knitting us together, we didn't have an opinion. We couldn't stand on the outside and say, hey, actually, I'd really like blonde hair or anything like that. So then how can we think that it is a basis for relating to God by just being born? We didn't have any preferences then. How then can we think, use that as a basis for uh, us being rightly related to God? People come along, and this is what they say. But the Bible says, and this is where they quote, the Bible says we're all children of God. Here's what I want to do. I, I just want, I want to talk through that passage really quickly. So can you take your Bibles and flip to the right to the book of Acts chapter 17? The very next book after John is the book of Acts. And look at verse 17, uh, excuse me, chapter 17. We're going to start in verse 26. When people say we're all child of God, children of God, this is where they turn. But I want you to see that it is not what they're talking about. They're not, they're not understanding the passage correctly. Acts chapter 17, verse 26. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth. Here's creation, right? Having determined a lot of periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, verse 27, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us, for in him we live and move and have our being, as even some of your own poets have said, for we are indeed his offspring. See, there we are, child of God. Isn't that what it says? Everybody's children of God. No, 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 no. Keep reading, verse 29. Being then God's offspring, in this case, this kind of offspring is talking about creation. Being then God's creation, we ought not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of man. The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands people everywhere to do what? To repent. 
because he has fixed a day on which we will, he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance uh, to all by raising him from the dead. When people say, oh, aren't we all God's children? Uh, you know, look, we're all God's creation. We're all God's children. Isn't that the way that goes? No, that is as fundamentally different as a guy who's got a sweet 70, uh, I mean, 1965 Mustang. And he calls it, when he talks about it, he talks about it with affection and calls it his baby. Versus a mom holding her newborn and saying, look, this is my baby. She's my baby. He's my baby. And when you hear one talk about a car and mom talk about a baby, you're not thinking these are the same things, right? You're not thinking they have the exact same uh, ideas about this or the same level of affection for or commitment to. You understand that, hey, one's a car and one's a human. Like, they're very, very different. This is what Paul is saying. Hey, you're thinking that you've got this whole idea about creation. and I mean, that's right. But the way that a person gets rightly related to God is not just by being born, not just by being created, but instead the way that a person gets rightly related to God is by repenting and believing in Jesus to, as it says in John chapter 1, receive him and believe in his name. You are most, excuse me, you are not most authentically and truly you until you were rightly related to God. Rightly related to God. How are you rightly related to God? By receiving him and believing in his name. There's a, a, a myth that goes along with this whole idea of creation here that goes something like this. Well, see, I want to be authentically and truly me. And see, God made me with these desires, whatever these desires may be. God made me with these desires, so surely he wants me to follow them. And I'd like to break that down just a little bit. God made me with these desires. Surely he wants me to follow them, be happy with them. Here's what I want to say about that. Number one, God did make you with desires. That's true. Those desires that we find inside of us, those are God-given things. It's part of who we are as a creation. And these desires are designed by God to bring us joy. Not, not, not problems. They're, desired to, I mean, they're designed by God to bring us joy. Desires that are designed to bring us joy, they bring us joy when they are submitted to the lordship of Jesus and shaped by his power. They're submitted to the lordship of Jesus and shaped by his power. Otherwise, desires lead us down some pretty rough paths. Anybody had experience with that before? When our desires are warped and bent and misshapen and, and, and uh, uh, you know, cracked and turned and twisted and all this other stuff, they lead us down bad stuff. So Jesus, um, James, the little brother of Jesus, would write in his letter in James chapter 1, he says this, um, desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's fully grown, brings forth, does anybody know the verse? Brings forth death. When our desires are warped and misshapen and twisted and not submitted to the lordship of Jesus and not shaped by his power, uh, when they're not submitted and shaped by Jesus, then they're submitted and shaped, uh, submitted to and shaped by the world, and they become all sorts of problems for you and for me. And in fact, they lead to death. So I'll just briefly illustrate this. Uh, if you're friends with my wife on Facebook, you saw yesterday uh, we hung a sign uh, in our laundry room that appropriately says laundry. Um, and what we did to, to make that happen was uh, she worked very hard on the string and stuff. My job is the major construction. Don't give me the details. Just give me the major construction sign. Uh, my major construction was to take um, shiplap because everybody shiplaps these days. Are you with me on this? How many, how many are shiplapping with me on this? Four of you. Great. Never mind. Just kidding. Uh, so shiplap, old wood, right? Tongue, uh, you know, it's got the little tongue thing sticking out. So you kind of lay it up there. One of the boards, one of the boards was was misshapen. It had a little bow to it, and so you, we put two straight ones together, and then one kind of whoo, 
group kind of fell off like that. And so as we're putting them together and putting the trim on and stuff, we got this one that's still kind of creasing away, a little bit of gap there, not really the look we were after. Um, so me, I'm like, hey, Jenny, come here, babe. She gets the nail gun. She gets it. And I'm like, okay, here's what's going to happen. I'm going to close this crease, and you're going to pop that thing. And so I gathered all of my manly strength, of which there is much, mind you. I squeeze it together like that. Pow, pow. She nails it in. We're like, yes, we win. Thank you very, very much. Because there was a... Nobody applauded for that. I'll just take note of that. I'll pick that up with you later. Uh, But there was this warped, bent piece that had to come under a kind of authority and power in order to get the sign straight. And you and I have things in us that are warped and bent by the world that have to come under a proper authority, a proper sovereignty, if you will. We have to submit it to Jesus and let his power shape it so that we become what we're supposed to be. You are created with desires. That's true. Those desires are meant for your joy. That is also true. Desires bring us joy when they are submitted to the sovereignty of Jesus and are shaped by his power. Creation speaks to purpose and to care but it doesn't speak to relationship. Only childhood speaks to relationship, which is why John says, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right, the authority, to become children of God. Children speak to, uh, childhood speaks to relationship. A watch, a watch can be made by somebody for a particular purpose, but it can be worn by anybody, right? If you found a watch, a watch laying on the ground, you would think, Oh, I wonder whose watch that is. If you found a kid walking around outside by himself or herself, guess what you would think? Where are your parents? You would just assume that there was a family involved. Indeed, that's the case. Um, Creation is one thing. But childhood, childhood speaks to and it points us to um, relationship. Relationship. And that actually leads to this next thing, this next Myth. Myth number one is you can be a child of God by birth. No, that's not true. He specifically says, who were born not of blood. And then he, he has another, nor of the will of the flesh. So not by lineage, not by lineage. Uh, in John's day, as he's writing, and in our day uh, to, to uh, a different degree, um, but you know the Jewish people uh, in, his, uh, <clears throat> in his day were thinking, hey, we're Jews, we're inside of the covenant, therefore we must be good with God. Uh, Jesus came, though, and he destroyed that old covenant to, to set up something incredible, to, to broaden the covenant so that everybody could get in and to say, hey, just because you're born in this particular line doesn't mean you're right with God. So this is the way I put this, that identifying with certain people doesn't identify you with God. Not by lineage means identifying with certain people does not identify you with God. Look back at verse 11, just one verse back. He came to his own, that's the Jewish people. He came to his own and his very own people did not receive him. They did not receive him. He came to his own and his own did not receive him. So the the question is not uh, whether or not I was born in a particular line or whatever. The question is, what am I going to do with Jesus? Am I going to receive him by believing in his name? Well, I'm an American. That means I'm a Christian, right? Mm -mm. No, it doesn't. I voted Republican. That means I'm a Christian, right? Mm -mm. Nope. I live in the South. Of course I'm a Christian. No, no, Mm -mm. that's not how that goes. I grew up in a Christian home. Does that mean I'm a Christian? He says specifically, but to all who did receive him, he believed in his name. He gave the right to become children, not grandchildren. God doesn't have grandkids. I don't get in on my parents' coattails. 
I have to be the one receiving him. I have to be the one believing in his name. Identifying with certain people does not identify you with God. Instead, identifying with a certain person does, that is Jesus. We must believe in his name. We must receive him um, into our lives. Uh, you know, hanging around church. I think that's incredible. I'll speak to that here in just a second. I think it's really important to be around people who speak the truth and who talk about important things and who know this Jesus. And if you're not, I mean, if you're here this morning and you're not sure about all this, again, I want to speak to that here in just a second. But I just want to make sure uh, that you understand that just because you identify with a particular people, maybe even the church, it does not mean that you've identified with God. You have to individually receive what he's saying. Just illustrate this briefly. Uh, a couple of uh, weekends ago, we had a memorial service here for um, somebody who passed away, and uh, that was over in the chapel. And in here was actually a jazz festival uh, that was going on. And so, about three or four minutes into the memorial service, I wasn't doing it, so I was kind of sitting on the back row, um, being there for the family and stuff, sitting on the back row. And and in walked a family, and they stood there looking, and stood there looking, and stood there looking. And looking, about three or four minutes into this process, I thought, huh. So I step over and I say, uh, hey, did y'all know the, did y'all know this guy? Uh, y'all are here for the jazz festival, aren't you? Yeah, yeah, we are. This is not the jazz festival. <laughs> Just to be clear about that. If you'll go out this door and down the sidewalk into the big room there, you'll be... Can you imagine, I mean, had they stuck around through all the singing and preaching and stuff, being like, this is the strangest jazz festival ever. Weird. That's crazy. There comes a point where it hit them pretty clearly. You kind of saw it wash over their face where they realized, hey, listen, uh, I don't think we're actually in the right spot. I'm not sure we really belong and understand what's going on here. There's a certain distance and disconnect from what's actually going on. I don't know this guy that they're talking about. I'm sorry that he died, but I mean, this is, oh gosh, you know, this is how this goes. I'm not even sure what I'm supposed to be doing here. Oftentimes, people who come and they hang out around church, there comes a point where they start to feel this disconnect from what's actually being uh, done and what's actually being said. They start to feel this distance, this disconnect. Why? Because they don't identify personally with what's going on and with who they are talking about here at church. Family, boy, it's an important thing. Being connected to church, it is an important thing. But we have to start with this kind of individual response, individual response to him. When we respond to him, God makes a new person out of you, and then he brings you, uh, that new person, into uh, a new people. He brings us into a family, which is an incredible thing. Family is important. It, I mean, the church, as God designed it, the church is designed to be a family. Imperfect, yes. Have our troubles at times, yes, absolutely. But man, we're designed to be a family. We're designed to take care of one another. And people hear this, and they're like, okay, family, this is... This is, uh, is going to be an okay thing, I think, maybe, possibly, depending upon kind of where you were and what your baggage was. And, and then you think to yourself, well, I'm, I'm glad because family really is important. And here's what I would say to you about this. Uh, just remember that there's more to family than just lineage. When God brings a new person to be a part of a new uh, a people, a new family, just remember that, that there's more to family than just bloodline and lineage. 
There's this sense of, in a church, there's this sense of connection. There's this sense of, hey, we have something together in common that, that, that far outweighs you know, who our mom and dad are, who our sister is, who our cousins are, far outweighs whether we're blonde or uh, you know, dark-headed or curly or straight. I mean, it just it far transcends any distinction that we can draw because we're family. That's why Jesus, uh, in Luke chapter 14, you can read this later, but just think about this. Jesus says this in Luke chapter 14, verse 25 and 26. In, in verse 26, he says this. Uh, if you don't hate your father, mother, sister, brother, wife, kids, even your own life, you cannot be my disciple. Now, why would Jesus talk like that? That doesn't seem very family-friendly at all. What he's saying is this. There's more to family. There's more to family than just lineage. You get to be a part of something so much greater. And for some of you <clears throat> who hear family and are like, uh, gosh, boy, this was going great until you brought up family because... You know, I've got father things. I don't want to talk about that. Oh, great. Yeah, and family. Yeah, my family's so dysfunctional. Ugh. Or, uh, you know, hey, every time my family gets together, all they do is fight. So if you're talking about church as a family, mm, the, the kind of family that God is bringing together is making us children of God. With God as our father, uh, with... with um, us embracing one another with all our foibles and struggles and problems and baggage and all this kind of stuff and saying, hey, we're in this together. We're family. We're in this together. We're not going to be perfect, but we are going to stay committed um, to one another. And so on that note, if you, if you need a place to belong, if you need a place to ask questions, if you need a place to try to, to kind of navigate and see your way through, church is the best place for that. Church is the best place. We're, we're not committed to one another because of our lineage. We're committed to one another because we have received Jesus and we have believed in his name. Uh, the third myth, if you will, of, of people try to get there this way, being a child of God doesn't come by birth, it doesn't come by lineage, and it doesn't come by determination. So at the end of verse 13, who were born not of blood, there's, there's birth, not of the will of the flesh, uh, that's by lineage, nor of the will of man. So we don't get, uh, we don't get to become children of God by determination. Self-reliance and self-help are often uh, the ways that we try to do this, but those two things don't make us children of God. Why? Because the common thread between self-help and self-reliance is self. And whenever we have self in the equation in any relationship, it's a distancing force. And in fact, our self-reliance and our self-help and, and all of this kind of stuff actually distances us from God. It makes us uh, uh, further away from God rather than drawing him close. It actually pushes us farther away from him. Anytime we have self in the middle of that, um, this is what happens. Oftentimes, this expresses itself two ways. And I've been so helped by uh, a pastor in New York named Tim, Kimmel, uh, Tim Keller. Excuse me, um, Tim Keller, it, the way he describes this has been so helpful, and I hope it's helpful for you. There's kind of two routes for this. One is the, the route of the prodigal, and the other is the route of the Pharisee. The prodigal, if you're familiar with the prodigal son story, kid comes to his dad, he's like, hey, listen, I just want my inheritance, I'm out of here. He goes and he lives in a crazy land doing all sorts of crazy stuff. He essentially takes off and says, I don't care what you say, I'm going to go my own way and you're just going to have to accept, me, accept that. And we say to God, God, thanks so much for uh, giving me life and breath and everything else, but I'm going my own way and you're just going to have to accept that. 
You know people like that who've made their, made their, uh, uh, their kind of, if you will, goal is just to go their own way and to do their own stuff, and then you see the choices that they make, and it always ends up in the exact same place, this place of brokenness, even if they put the best facade on, even if they put the best smile on, even if they put whatever they can on, medicate in whatever way they can, it's still just covering brokenness. That's the prodigal. And the Pharisee, uh, instead of saying, hey, I'm going to go my own way and you're going to have to just accept that, the Pharisee says, uh, I'm going to do everything right and God's going to have to accept me. One of two ways, I'm going to do everything right or I'm going my own way and God, you're just going to have to accept that. Um, depending upon how you grew up, if you were a rule keeper, maybe grew up around church like I did, it's kind of the struggle still uh, at times shows up in me where I'm like, no, 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 no. I can't, you know, get God on my side by all of my actions, whether we're near like the Pharisee or far away like the prodigal. If we go either of those two routes in self-reliance, guess what? We misunderstand God completely and we miss the heart of the gospel. Because the gospel is those who are far away, you know what they need? Jesus to intervene in their lives. And the gospel is those who are near and trying to make it by themselves, you know what they need? Jesus to intervene in their lives, whether you're near or whether you're far. We all need Jesus um, to intervene uh, in our lives. There is a very narrow way um, to, to um, be made right with God, and it is not by living your own way here or doing everything right and trying to follow all the rules here. It's by receiving Jesus and believing in his name. Anybody ever, uh, anybody flown lately? Anybody been on an airplane lately? Are the aisles just getting smaller and smaller? That's what it feels like. Uh, you know, where it used to, you know, you at least had two, you know, uh, you know, people could more or less get by. Now you're like, oh, no, there's no way that's happening, right? I mean, you could put two fourth graders right there and they'd still bump into one another. I mean, like, it's just tight, right? Like, you barely have room to get the cart down the aisle and stuff. Uh, and you can imagine, you know, people, cart coming one way, people coming another. You're like, this is never going to happen. In the same way, listen, there's this kind of narrowness to this, to this message that we all need to hear to say, listen, it's not that you can't get from here to there. It's that there's only one way to do that. There's only one way to do that. I mean, you can fight against it, fight against it, fight against it. You can call it unfair or un, not right or whatever, but there's only one way to do that, and that is to receive Jesus by believing, by believing. Um, you must receive him by believing in his name. As I said at the front end here, uh, really what I was after is just fueling um, our gratitude this week to say, hey, no matter what's going on in your life, let's put this at the centerpiece of our lives to say, God, here is something for which we can always be grateful. And because we are sons and daughters of God, because we're children of God, if you've uh, received Jesus and, and believed in his name, as the text said, then these are some things that are true about you. I just wrote these things down. See if this fuels, see if this fuels any gratitude uh, for you, when you are born of God, when you are um, uh, when you are a child, you are you are a child not just of God, but you're a child of the King. You get that? Like there is a there is a, a authority structure that you get put into because you are a child of a King. Secondly, you are in His family. Not only are you. Um, uh, you know, kind of related here, but now you're in his family and, and a part of that relationship with him. And you're heirs to eternity, not just for today, um, that would be too cheap, but indeed heirs for eternity. So a thousand years from now, we'll still be enjoying everything that God has for us. You have a purpose. Think about this. You have a purpose in the midst of trials because you are a child of God. 
God doesn't let stuff happen to his children randomly. He always uses that and he always redeems it. Think about that. Um, you have promises that are going to last into eternity. Unbelievable. You have, you have a reason for living that, that is, is more than just accumulation and trying to keep breathing. You have a reason for living. You have news that is worth sharing. You this week will have the opportunities at different points to open your mouth and share about this receiving Jesus into your life and believing in his name. You have news that's worth sharing. You have a power that is indwelling inside of you such that the Bible says about the Holy Spirit, if you're a child of God, the Holy Spirit dwells inside of you, and the Bible says this, that he, is, uh, he gives life to our mortal bodies. Think about that. You have directions, uh, you have leading from that Holy Spirit, a directional leading. Do I take this way or this way? Which way am I supposed to go, God? And God is there to speak to you and lead you. You have security in him because of him, obviously, not because of you. You have acceptance because as a child of God, you have acceptance. You have approval before God. You have significance before God. You have freedom in God. You have gifts from God. You have hope and you have a future as a child of God. That's something worth holding on to right there, folks. But there's only one way that happens. To receive him, he says at verse 12, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, to receive him that you surrender your life to him and you make space for him in your life. And that's a phrase I just want you to hold on to for just a moment. Just think for just a second about what it means to make space for him in your life. Surrender your life and, and, and your space to his rule, to his sovereignty, and then believe. Believe he is who he says he is, and he does what he declares he's going to do. We put that at the centerpiece of our life. No matter the circumstances, no matter the other relationships, no matter the other stuff, we will have that to be thankful for and to count on. I pray that's true of you this week. Uh, if you're here this morning and you're not a child of God, maybe you thought it was because everybody's a child of God or you were born into a Christian home or, or uh, you, know, you, you can measure all the right things and do all the right things by your own determination and effort. If you're not here, the absolute best thing that you could do is to receive him by believing in his name. How do I do that? It's ABC. This is how we explain it to the kids. A, you admit, admit that you're a sinner. B, you believe that Jesus died and rose again. And C, you commit your life to him. It's just that easy. That's how you um, receive him. That's how you make space. You say, God, I'm a sinner, and I need you to forgive me of my sins, and I believe that Jesus has died for those sins and has come to give me life, and now I'm committing my life to you. It's just that easy. So we're going to have a time of response, and what I invite you to do is one of two things. If you, uh, um, you know, the Holy Spirit is something's going on inside of you, and you're like, man, I, I believe that that's true, and I need to do something about that. You take a minute, and you fill that little portion out of the bulletin uh, and put on there, I need to know about following Jesus and knowing Jesus and being a child of God, and you put it in the offering plate when it comes by. We'd love to follow up with you this week. Or you can take that same thing, fill it out, come back to the back tables. We'll be back there to pray for people or um, talk to you about what it means um, to know and follow Jesus, to be a child of God. I'm going to pray right now, and you get ready to respond.